Welcome to the Guidelines Podcast. The following is a conversation with Ronald DeToy on artificial intelligence and machine learning. Ronald is a data scientist at Allen and Gray, and over the course of this final episode of season two of Guidelines, he shares about how he and his team grew data science maturity within Allen and Gray. I noticed a lot of correlations between the worlds of data science and human-centered design, and this conversation holds a lot of value for designers wanting to grow the design maturity within their organizations. Enjoy. Welcome to the Guidelines Podcast. Today, my guest is Ron Detoy. Um, for Guidelines, we usually start to off with an introduction. And if someone was to uh, look you up on LinkedIn, Ron, they would see that you're a data scientist at Allen & Gray. However, I'd like you to go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know about who you are and about the work that you do at Allen & Gray. Hi, Jonty. I'm excited to be in. And thanks for asking me to join the show. So yeah, as Jonty introduced me, I'm Ronald, uh, working at Allen & Gray, which is a financial services provider. For me, joining Allen Gray was quite a change in scenery because I traditionally come from a more mechanical engineering background, but really it's sort of my mechanical engineering uh, degree and postgrad, we got exposed to quite a bit of machine learning and AI to solve sort of research problems. My research title was along the lines of predicting turbo machinery failures with blade tip timing. And it was really in that research side of things that I got into the likes of data science and, and sort of more machine learning. And during my postgrad, I explored all my options for career paths and yeah Allen Gray looked like a great company to 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 join because they were looking to start formally start a data science team and I was quite lucky to to be one of the founding members of that team and we we the best way I think to describe our team is we're sort of like a cross-functional team we work across the business um, from operations client experience um, information technology to product development um, and distribution so yeah we see, sort of see ourselves as data consultants at Allen Gray um, and we were there to expand and to grow the data science capability within the company and to essentially get more from our data and unlock a lot of value in doing so. So yeah, I guess there's no real or formal definition of what I do is we, we, we are quite generalized in that sense, but yeah, I'm enjoying my time there and learning a lot. I guess the follow-up question I have is about how you transitioned from your role in engineering. So you're saying you did some like in your honors and in your masters, you ended up studying a bit of machine learning. But from what I understand, you're doing quite a bit of programming now in your job. And I know you'll be bringing a lot of maths into that. And could you tell me a bit how you, like, did you learn everything that you needed for this job in data science in your engineering post-grad? Or was it something that you had to kind of learn on the job and upskill in your spare time? So yeah, that's a great question. Um, in, in second year, we actually formally got introduced to programming, or at least I did. That was my first sort of interaction with Python and, and pro the programming world. But for me at that time, like it really just felt like a chore to actually go through that subject because it didn't really make sense like why we did it. I guess we were doing a lot of cool maths on the side and sort of numerical methods and all these iterative techniques. But programming, I think at that stage being sort of presented as a subject just felt like, like I said, a task or a chore or a module that you just have to get through. But it was really in my postgrad, my honors and masters that I started to enjoy it everything was programming based and you were actually using sort of python or matlab to actually solve a particular problem and um, i did a formal subject uh, with the electronics department uh, built artificial intelligence surprisingly and <clears throat> it was really sort of in that that we got a very wide exposure to all the different types of artificial intelligence machine learning techniques and i think that's when the penny dropped for me that this is something powerful like you could use this to solve real engineering problems like around 
maintenance, predictive maintenance. And at the end of the day, the numbers that you use to make these sorts of predictions are very transferable across whatever industry. In the financial services industry, uh, we apply some of the same techniques as what I use in my master's research to actually make predictions on certain trends or patterns of behavior. Uh, just a disclaimer, not in the investment space. So at Alan Gray, we still rely quite heavily on value-based investing. So we haven't developed by any means a machine learning based approach for that. But there are a lot of operational problems that we solve um, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity in that space. So yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, the, the, the field has evolved rapidly since I did it in my master's and even more so like over the past 15 years. Obviously with the rise of the computers uh, becoming more and more powerful, hard computing becoming more accessible, um, there's, there's really been a boom in, in the whole data science sort of machine learning and AI field to the point where uh, where where it's been quite hyped up so, so yeah that's sort of been my journey prior to this interview i went and did a bit of research on ron and listened to a, a talk they did for ai uh, ai south africa and i'm actually going to include that in the show notes so if you're interested go ahead and um, listen to that interview after you've listened to this one uh, it's really very good and he has one of his colleagues and they sort of break down the strategy but one of the things that i thought would be relevant to the guidelines community is as ron and his colleague were speaking about uh, how they grew the data science maturity within Alan and Gray. I was sort of listening to this thinking, wow, this is so similar to a lot of the struggles and a lot of the systems that UX designers need to put in place in order to make the organizations more human-centered in their approach. Uh, so I see there's a lot of crossover and we can actually learn a lot from Ron uh, and his team in how they grew the data science maturity within their organization. Yeah. So what I'd love to do is just ask a bit more about uh, how you guys went through that process. So yeah, I think that young UX teams within large organizations can learn a lot from your team's journey. Um, you mentioned this, there's this phrase you brought up uh, in in the interview and you said that you wanted data science to be less of a team and more of a capability within your organization. Could you unpack a bit about what that means to you when you say that? Yeah, so I think at the core, um, everything we do in our day-to-day -day lives involves some form of data. And I think data has just become so accessible. The rate of transfer of data is just, I mean, booming across all platforms, whether it's your phone or day-to-day -day with the work or the type of movies you watch. So for me, it also feels like in our workplace, um, data science shouldn't just be, like I said, a team, like three or four people actually crunching away and solving the data problems within the company, but it should be a sort of a mindset and a capability that people opt for in their day-to-day -day processing. And by that, I sort of mean that um, there needs to be an understanding, there needs to be an awareness of what you need to look at in terms of data, what the data can do for you, what value you can unlock the data, what techniques are available. A lot of these techniques in sort of machine learning and data science, at least on sort of basic principles, has become very democratized and uh, to the point where you can just plug and play. You can get a simple prediction or a simple model up and running uh, within a couple of minutes or hours. That wasn't that simple in the past. So I think as a team, our first port of call was to actually just create that form of awareness, like around what data science is and what it isn't. And that people in different departments could just start thinking about problems differently um, in that context. In in the title of this talk was that you spoke about the maturity within Allen and Gray. Um, from what I understand, there would be various stages within the maturity that an organization could go through. What are some of the stages that you saw your team moving through as your organization was becoming more uh, data-centered and more capable in this area? Yeah, so quite interestingly, when we were asked to, to speak at one or two of these conferences, 
Netherlands. I actually did quite a bit of research to just see, this is probably something I should have done before I started at LM Gray. But I did quite a bit of research to sort of find out what are the stages um, in AI and sort of growing the capability within a company. And it, it aligned really closely to what we actually went through. And so the formal stages uh, as reported by Gartner in terms of their AI maturity model, I'll just list them quickly, is awareness, active, operational, systemic, and transformational. So in the first sort of year, year and a bit, we had set deliverables, like we had some projects that we needed to actually work on. The one being quite a big monolithic project uh, where we had to classify inbound documents. So we built a document classifier. But through that, we actually learned a lot that yes, given that it's a new sort of capability or new sort of field in Alan Gray or within the company, a lot of the different teams that relied on our solution weren't really aware of what we were trying to do subconsciously a lot of what we did in our first year was actually just raising awareness we actually went out and we shared some very high level understanding of what data science is and what it isn't we shared some of the techniques so that people could see what tools we had accessible to solve specific problems so just through that awareness we actually had a lot more people approaching us with more business problems to try and solve and through that we sort of moved down to the more or moved up to a more active contributor to a data science capability and from there like obviously as the techniques mature within our organization we became quite an operational contributor by that we mean that a lot of our solutions actually um, became productionized and sort of slot in with the normal processes of Alan Gray. We developed quite a cool app that gauges whether or not certain advisors um, express certain behaviors just so that we can help service them a little bit better and understand them better. So essentially keeping the heart of the client um, as our focus. From there, I guess this year we've become a lot more systemic um, where we've been recognized as a necessary sort of function of Alan Gray as a business. Uh, we need to understand a little bit more about our data um, to be to remember relevant in some spheres and to grow the business but our end goal is definitely to be transformational in the field to use data science AI and sort of machine learning to actually unlock new possibilities in the financial services or asset management space so that's sort of the the phases that we went through and there have been challenges through every single one of those phases um, and there's some learnings that we have from there that I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit later but I think the one key thing for us was just to sort of start simple to start light we had a very um, small team to start off with um, with cross-functional capabilities yeah i think it's so interesting how there's different clear different stages that these different new industries can go through when they get adopted into these large organizations i can imagine when you were going through level one that stage of awareness there are probably some issues that you may have noticed and you may have run into in that early stage when uh, trying to sort of grow the maturity in the organization what were some of the issues that you came across one of the big issues and i think um, i'm partly to blame for it is that that we tried to overcomplicate everything. We didn't really simplify our solutions. Uh, we tried to go for the most complicated machine learning techniques um, that were very cool and sort of very hip coming straight out of Varsity. So for the document classifier, we essentially trained a convolutional neural network and we, we didn't do our due diligence to actually try and understand the business problem, uh, to try and see what we're actually trying to solve, what some of the shortcomings can be from the data. And through that, I learned, uh, and this is also widely reported 
sort of in industry is that 80% of the work or time spent doing these machine learning or data science type problems is actually just spent understanding the business requirements, understanding the data, cleaning the data, doing a lot of like pre-processing around that. And if you can get all of that to a point of simplicity, the rest is quite quite simple and quite easy to to um, get to a decent solution. Sure. No, I can imagine that. I think it's the exact same thing within the UX, the UX industry. Like if you just go about starting to build something without actually understanding the needs of the stakeholders and the stakeholders being the business as well as your users, you're not going to come up with the optimal solution and it's easier to jump in. But uh, yeah, I can imagine that was a transition. <laughs> something that you mentioned in the beginning was that there was quite a bit of hype around data science. How did you guys avoid like avoid hype and exceptionally high expectations for your team? How did you how did you manage that? So, yeah, that's a that's a brilliant question, and that's something that we're actively trying to Im- improve at Allenberg. A lot of the departments that we still sort of approach almost think that data science is like a magic wand that you just wave and <laughs> the data just magically appears in the correct format. So firstly, you have to set the right expectations. I think up front we sort of say that okay, great, this is what you can expect. We obviously need to do a proof of concept first and we sort of time box that to two weeks generally just to understand the problem to do a very quick iteration of what we think is a possible solution and then we just have something that's interactive that the stakeholders or um, the various departments can actually visually see and engage with some of these concepts are very sort of black box very difficult to understand if you don't have anything in front of you so yeah just getting back to the point of setting the right expectations demonstrating incremental value i think that's important taking the stakeholders uh, along the journey with you um, to sort of feel more invested in the problem as well to understand the techniques that you're using to understand some of the shortcomings and to also learn from them in terms of business context that the problem is trying to be solved in yeah i like the idea of doing concrete and specific demos and doing it having a proof of concept within two weeks so you actually position their understanding uh, rather than just presenting something at a later stage something that surprised me when i watched your talk is you look like there's only four people in your team how did you go about assembling this team and what are the different roles uh, within your team and and why have you decided to keep it so small yeah i mean we were the sort of founding members in the team uh before us there were one or two people sort of toying around with some data science problems uh, but the team or the capability wasn't really formally recognized the reason i i guess we started off with such a small team is just so that we we keep the capability quite experimental initially to sort of just probe whether or not there would be value i think that was maybe a business decision that was made before my time but yeah like we we were four people last year this year we were actually three and our team did take a bit of strain because one member left to go work in Joburg Alan Gray's office is there Uh, so it was sad to to lose it we were sad to lose her but I guess it all comes down to sort of how the pieces or how the different members and skill sets in the team fit together so just to dive into that a little bit more um, when you look at machine learning um, generally it's accepted that it's the sort of crossover between business or domain knowledge computer science or programming sort of skills and a a strong mathematical statistical background and the intersection of all those three uh, makes you sort of a data scientist or machine learning um, expert obviously there's like more of a data science scientist and then the data engineer and so between those two i focus a little bit more sort of the analytical side of things i do code i do a lot a lot of the sort of proof of concepts and uh, scrapbooking or uh, jupyter notebooks so that we essentially get to a solution quite quickly but given the time constraints uh, or the resource constraints the other member of the team alan he he focuses a little bit more on the data engineering side of things to actually integrate our solutions 
with the infrastructure at Alan Gray. And then we've got a very skilled um, domain owner that's been with Alan Gray for over 15 years. So he brings that very solid business context, um, domain knowledge, understands the processes, understands the data, understands the databases, database um, that we source all our data from. So although we're a small team, I think we don't introduce that complexity of having too many people in, in the team. Like we can quickly change context. We have quick stand-ups in the morning to sort of gauge where people are. I mean, it's not like with the work we do, you pack away hours and hours every day with full concentration. A lot of the times you have to be reading up about things. You have to wait for things to train. Um, you have to source data. You have to wait for feedback from stakeholders. So in that sense, like we easy, easily sort of switch between contexts. Something that you, you, you're mentioning is like machine learning and maths and statistics and computer science. And I wonder if we can go into that and unpack it a little bit more. You you work with these uh, in a day-to-day way and like they, they aren't buzzwords. Do you actually use these technologies when you hear about machine learning and artificial intelligence and when you're speaking about math like the 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 statistics that you're using could you unpack a bit more of that i understand that you could spend a whole episode just talking about the processes that you use but could you unpack that and just and like demystify some of what it means to to work in machine learning and how mathematics sort of relates to that so yeah i mean i think an important thing to just recognize is that machine learning has been around for decades it's not something new i think recently it it gained a lot more sort of traction because it's become a lot more accessible to many people given the progress made in sort of computational power gpus cloud computing and all of that and then obviously techniques that have improved um, because there's just so much more data out there it's almost like things incrementally improve but data science as a field has also been around for long like i said it's the intersection of that business knowledge sort of programming and uh, maths and stats maths and stats is essentially the backbone i would say of machine learning uh, because these algorithms use um, a lot of maths and stats at their core a lot of optimization techniques for the learning that's why i think there's a lot of emphasis on actually having a good maths and stats background because you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel when you do machine learning as a data scientist you just have to understand i guess the algorithm and what some of the pitfalls are in using them and what these different algorithms are used for so typically in, in machine learning i guess there are sort of two types of problems on a high level it's your sort of classification problems and your regression problems classification is is more along like predicting certain labels like a b c d hot cold night or day regression is when you're trying to predict a certain number and then within that um, within those there's also sort of like supervised and unsupervised learning supervised is when you have example uh, labels to actually train your machine learning model on so you're almost reinforcing sort of the the understanding or the mapping of the data to some target output whereas the unsupervised learning is when you're trying to sort of recognize patterns within the unstructured data uh, without any output levels so yeah i mean there are a lot of i'm sure different definitions for machine learning but in a nutshell it's just the application of artificial intelligence that provides some sort of ability to learn and to improve from experience without explicit rules and then artificial intelligence is just sort of the having intelligence 
intelligent machines, I guess, and not sort of a natural intelligence to try and um, make these sorts of predictions or calculations. Like my understanding of it is true AI, I think it will be something like what we see in iRobot, where um, these machines learn to learn per se, and have maybe some sort of instinct to actually, but that's a whole different field. And I'm sure that's it's a whole different podcast that we could get into. So it's, uh, it's not sci-fi, it's very practical, and it's based on mathematics and computer science through the lens of business. That's a very good summary. I should have I should have used that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you've uh, you've summarized it well. Um, I've heard you said that you that your team was very much in the client experience and client servicing space. What does this mean for you as a data science team to be uh, to be focused on the client experience, and how does this differentiate you from other teams? At Alan Gray, it's it's quite easy to be in the client experience space because Alan Gray has a strong belief in sort of wowing our clients with good client experience. It's something that we really uh, hold very dear to us. And obviously our business is entirely trust-based. We have to maintain that trust. And one way of doing it, that is to have exceptional service. So it's it's quite easy for me then as a data scientist to have that belief that everything that we're doing is to better experience of, of a client, I think. And part of that is to use the data and um, various levels and sort of types of data to try and better understand our clients' needs, how they prefer to be sort of serviced and what so, some of the questions are that they might be asking different journeys that they go through different phases of their lives that they're in not not like um and, and obviously you have to keep the ethical lens um into account as well so it's not like we're trying to segment clients and maybe uh, sort of treat certain clients better or not it's really about servicing all the clients exceptionally and and that also means that maybe internally our internal clients as a data science team are some of the other departments so some of the business development managers if we can give them more data uh, that's more accessible for them and richer with more interactive sort of features that enables them to directly service advisors better to understand market sort of trends a little bit better to structure certain conversations better in the client servicing center we also need to understand like what the priorities are in terms of um, maybe calls or emails that come through they can be routed to specific people before an email gets opened Um, maybe there's an expert consultant that can answer a specific question and it's all about optimizing uh, things and reducing the amount of time that a client for example has to wait on the phone or wait for a response there are lots of examples i guess in the space but i think i I just need to reiterate that at the heart very heart of what alan gray stands for is exceptional client service yes dude that's absolutely incredible like how you guys are using data to like preempt and understand and meet your users needs i think that just like it really shows like the, the the user experience is so much more than the design of the website or the application it's how you how you interact with your users on every single point and how you use the data that you have on them to give them a more uh, customized experience and it's it's all about understanding a little bit more sort of about the space that you're in i think it's quite archaic to think that every single client is the same um these days a lot is going in the sort of personalization route uh, where clients like to have a bit more of a personal touch when they're being served um, when they communicate with us um you, you mentioned that you guys uh work across different teams i can imagine that you guys have interacted with the alan and gray uh, user experience team i can imagine also that there's people listening to this podcast who are going to or have been interacting with data science teams what's been some of the things off the top of your head that have been really helpful for you when you've interacted with these ux teams that have made your job as a data scientist a lot easier so yeah i think ux design is an essential part of any sort of 
upcoming business these days. I think without a user experience journey and understanding of how your clients interact with like the front end, like it, it's imperative. You, you, you need that at the core. And obviously for us, like we need some sort of like relay or understanding of how the clients interact. Where are some of the shortcomings? If we run sort of quick experiments of where I guess certain buttons are placed, like are clients taking sort of longer to uh, pick a certain button or maybe interact with a certain page. So just picking up certain trends um, and maybe those trends only occur uh, for certain aged clients or uh, and, and it's just building up that understanding. Like how do certain clients interact with what you put out there as you, on your website or on their online profile? Um, because that in, a, in the very nature could affect um, or have, a, have an influence on the sort of business culture, I guess, or the business, the nature of the business in the long run. Uh, you need to make things as easy and as accessible as possible. Um, so yeah, uh, generally, I mean, we haven't worked directly with the UX team. Uh, where there are a lot of sort of UX things that we've integrated in our own app, um, this um, IF Analytics app that we built. And we've done, we've gone through all of those life cycles of sort of user accepted testing and sort of user feedback to see if the whole look and feel and sort of the flow of the app makes sense and if it's natural. And, and obviously, like in the background, you, you log a lot of the interaction of the app to see what people are sort of struggling with or sort of interacting quite easily. Okay, so basically what you're saying is that the, what the team will do is that they'll take insights and then package it in a way and then communicate that with the teams and they'll communicate in a way that makes sense and allows you to actually do your job better because you now have better insights into the users. Yeah, and I think... Um, like at the end of the day, the, the best way to understand is to have some form of data. Um, as soon as any interaction with Alan Gray or with any sort of business becomes digital, there's a lot that you can do with that data. Um, and, and I guess that's where our team should be working a lot closer with the likes of the UX team. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think that also really aligns with something that I've been digging into recently is that like UX needs to be the glue within all the different teams. You need to build relationship with these different teams and slowly but surely team by team, uh, employee by employee, help the company become more a user-centered in its approach. Educate people and share your knowledge. And yeah, that's fantastic. And I can imagine going through this whole journey. I mean, you guys are talking about the sort of AI maturity model, how you guys have moved from awareness to like actively using it to becoming operational and systemic and now transformational within Ellen and Gray. I can imagine that there have been a number of like key lessons that have come up to you along the way. What have been some of those lessons? So a big one for me is always to start sort of small and simple. Um, it doesn't help to overcomplicate something if you don't sort of particularly understand what you're trying to achieve, and especially when the field um, is quite new to the business. So with starting simple, you always have to have sort of like measurable, achievable goals and objectives that you set for yourself. And yeah, another very important one that aligns to our culture as a business is to think long term. Starting simple and starting small now doesn't necessarily mean that you have you won't have a wow sort of solution later on, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start making those incremental changes and sort of mind shifts now to actually get to that long-term vision of what this could mean for you. An example would be like types of data that you collect. I think in hindsight, you can go and reprocess a lot of the data, but if you're not collecting the right data, five years down the line, you might kick yourself because you didn't think of those sorts of things. And through starting small and simple, I guess, it's obvious that you, you learn fast by failing fast, I guess. Focus on augmentation rather than automation. That's That's been a, a huge one for us. Being sort of placed in IT first as a data science team the focus was a lot more on the development cycle the traditional development cycle and automating things and people would look at us as more of like a robotic process automa 
automation team, which is not really what we do. We actually don't want to eliminate the human from the loop. We want to augment the experience that they have. We recognize that there's a lot of value in actually having humans like in the business place. Yes, they might be a little bit more costly in the long run, but I think there's an instinctive ability that you can't remove from a human. And through all of this, I, I think it's imperative to always educate and share and to learn from others. Uh, you can't sort of sit on this uh, this trove of uh, data science knowledge or capability without actually involving the people around you. And through that, I guess you can also demonstrate a lot of progress that you're making as a team. And sort of, yeah, we spoke about the, the dynamic of the team and sort of that we a small team. I think that's really helped us like to be a nimble and cross-functional team. It, it doesn't necessarily help to have an entire data science department. I think, like I said, the, the data science should be more of a capability than a team. That might mean that you involve more piece, people from business, whether they're execs. Um, we have sort of steer co sessions every six weeks with an executive panel where we just discuss some of the progress that we've made. We demonstrate some of the value that we've added and they steer us in the right direction. So we also view them as part of the data science team because they're giving us the domain and sort of business context. So yeah, I think it's very much about what you want for the team. And uh, yeah, those are some of the main learnings I think that we've we've had as a team in our three years so far. Ron, this is absolutely brilliant. I, I Honestly, I'm going to refer back to this at a later stage when whenever I'm thinking of starting a small team or how to integrate better because these, these are such universal lessons that you guys have been learning. Yeah, Ron, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. Uh, before we close up, I'd like to just ask a bonus question. And so today, the day that we're recording now is the 12th of November. And actually last night was Apple's last um, event of the year. And they announced the, the M1 the M1 chip. Um, when I understand you were watching that event. Yeah. Like, firstly, I'm, I was on, I'm honored to be on your show. And uh, yeah, coincidentally, it was also that Apple event last night. I watched them all. Um, my wife doesn't <laughs> always seem as interested as I am. But, uh, <laughs> I face similar struggles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like it was a quite a fascinating, like super impressive uh, launch of the new line of laptops or chip. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, was there anything that really stood out to you about the M1 chip and that you could possibly see having an impact on the way you work in the future? Well, I think that it's made uh, a lot of sort of, they throw out this term of the neural engines that they use. And look, I think there's a lot more technology behind it than the actual fancy word. But I think it's just making... Um, or the accessibility to AI sort of technology in such a small device quite accessible. And it's not necessarily a, a tool, I think, for data scientists to go and sort of crunch numbers on. I think you'll always rely on sort of maybe um, cloud computing these days for your more heavy um, training, um, more intensive data science tasks. But what this chip has really done, I mean, other than the fact that there's an amazing battery life on, on these laptops now, and I'm, I'm not a salesperson for Apple, um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at sort of Photoshop and Lightroom, the types of things that they're actually able to to do on that device. And um, as a developer, I'm sure that you're excited because now you're unlocking a lot more value for your clients and a lot more value in functionality in your apps, like the computing and processing power, like how they actually sharpen pictures as they demonstrate in the video. I mean, that to me is super impressive for using AI. And incrementally, more and more of these things will, will start coming. So yeah, it's great that Apple's actually 
actually thinking about these things where they kind of um, advancing their hardware to meet up with like the, the impressive capabilities that AI and potential that it could offer in the future. So yeah, I'm excited for what lies ahead. Yeah, that's cool. I think it's so interesting to see how AI is penetrating so many different products. Like one of the apps I was playing with today in preparation for this interview is uh, the Photos app that comes with, I mean, same thing on Google Photos or Apple Photos, but like you can sort of train your own AI to identify faces within you. Like that's that's absolutely insane, but it's such a sort of casual day-to-day use of AI in a day-to-day product. Yeah, it's, it's insane. I mean, everything we, we do these days, I mean, whether you go on Netflix or Showmax, the recommendation engines that they use there, that essentially it comes down to personal personalization. Um, knowing who John T or Ronald is, what they enjoy watching, whether or not that's scary for you. I think we also live in an age of data abundance. There's so much data out there. There's so much content there that actually just finding the relevant content for you based on your personality, I think that, that is something very important. Um, I mean, there are a lot of applications from security um, sort of in the digital space, uh, detecting anomalies and outlying sort of behavior and patterns. I think those are definitely some of the things that Apple sort of takes into account to um, beef up their security. So yeah, I mean, they're really exciting things. And the, the real beauty of it is that you don't really record or realize that there's all this machine learning actually going on in the background. You just pick up a device and it just works well and it starts making recommendations to you. But actually, uh, I take my hat off to all of these smart uh, people in Silicon Valley and all over the world um, that actually came up with all of these algorithms. Ah, Ron, like you, you're such an, you speak so well and you, you really communicate uh, your, your field with such passion and excellence. So thank you so much for making the time to be on the show today. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, all the best. And I wish you well for the rest of your career and the, uh, the team that's at uh, Alan Gray. Thanks so much, Shanti. And thanks for inviting me to the show. I also wish you well. And um, I'm excited to hear about the next phase of your journey as you head off to uh, Microsoft. I think it's super exciting and very well, very well deserved. Thank you so much for listening. If you learned something from this episode and would like to hear more episodes in the future, please subscribe and consider leaving a comment so that other people can find this content. If you have any questions and would like me to answer them on an upcoming episode, go into the show notes where you can find a link to my Twitter page where you can ask me any questions that you have or even leave a voice note using the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to keep the user right where they should be first.